Are you looking for an affordable health care option? Are you upset by the health insurance options offered by the Affordable Care Act? Head over to StaceyOnTheRight.com and click the banner ad for the Alliance for Shared Health to sign up for health sharing. ASH is a health share ministry with over 40,000 households participating. As a member, you share in the financial burden of health care expenses, including need sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up your prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, and order lab and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. Open enrollment is now. Don't miss out on the chance to save 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums while making a difference in the lives of others who share your values. Reach out to Ash today. Head over to StaceyOnTheRight.com. Click the banner ad to sign up now. That's StaceyOnTheRight.com. Click the banner ad and start sharing and saving today. Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, changing lives. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome to Stacy on the Right, where we are so excited to have our next guest on the program. I love it when we get to talk to talented people, and Phil Cook is one of those individuals. He's the co-founder of the Cook Media Group, executive producer of Hillsong Let Hope Rise, the film, and so many other things. In fact, I I, want to just give you just a little taste. He has a new book out called Maximize Your Influence, How to Make Digital Media Work for Your Church, Your Ministry, and You. He's a media producer, writer, speaker, coach, and he helps leaders to navigate their career and calling in today's distracted media-driven culture. He works at the intersection of faith, media, and culture. Uh, and he's also, <laughs> he's in Hollywood. He's right in the center of the belly of the beast, as some people like to say. And he has a PhD in theology. So much more that you can find out at philcook.com. Um, thank you so much, Phil, for coming on today. Oh, I'm thrilled, Stacy. This is really fun. Thank you for asking. Well, so I got to say, um, you work with some of my favorite people because I love Hillsong. I love listening to their music. Um, yeah. I love I love the energy that they bring, the creative energy, but also just their voices are so beautiful. It takes you up a level when you're you're thinking, okay, I need to get some praise and worship, and I need to sit down and disconnect from my social media and connect with um, the spirit of the Lord. They just usher you right on in. They do, and they're, they're, the, the amazing thing about Hillsong to me is. They appeal to such a wide range of people. I, the, the, we got the idea for making the movie, actually, when we went to see him at the Hollywood Bowl. And it was standing room only at the Hollywood Bowl to see a Christian worship band performing. And they went from there to Red Rocks in Colorado, standing room only. They went from there to Madison Square Garden, standing room only. So when you find somebody like that that crosses all these borders and lines and groups, you think, wow, they've got a message that people need to hear. So that really was the start of the idea of let's talk to them about making a movie about their new album and their worldwide release tour. And uh, that's where it came to be. Okay, so let's let's first, because uh, we, we have a lot to discuss. Um, I think that 
that listeners are going to be very excited about um, your your ability to kind of navigate in a world that is very hostile to Christians, very hostile to people who might be right leaning. Um, and, and it's just a viewpoint that's discriminated against, honestly, because I think if, if a person is apolitical, but they tend to be a little more conservatively minded, that still puts them in a position to be at odds with many of the people in Hollywood. Yet you're very successful there. So how do Christians keep their message intact with the ever-changing culture and digital age like you're doing? Well, I think it's a couple things. First of all, I tell people when they come to Hollywood, I deal with a lot of young college students across the country. I speak at a lot of universities, and, and I always tell filmmakers and young college students, if they come to Hollywood, don't lead with your faith, lead with your talent. You know, if you come to Hollywood and tell the studios, you know, I'm here because God called me here, and I'm going to change the world, or I'm conservative politically, and I'm going to change Hollywood— They'll throw you out of the building and and laugh you off off the studio lot. But if you come out and you impress them with being a brilliant actor, a brilliant director, a brilliant writer, you know what? They'll listen to anything you have to say because that's your talent, your gift is what gets their attention. So I always tell people, first of all, don't necessarily lead with your faith, lead with your talent, and that opens the door for you to share your faith, your political viewpoint, whatever you have from that point on. The other thing I would say is I've discovered over all these years that Hollywood really isn't anti-Christian as much as being ignorant of all things Christian and, frankly, ignorant of all things conservative. They just don't get it. Most of them didn't grow up in a conservative or a Christian family. They don't have many friends who are conservatives or Christians. They work in a really a bubble. And so they don't have a lot of exposure to our ideas. And when someone goes in who's intelligent, who can present their ideas in a, a really intelligent way— Suddenly, that gets their attention. I have a friend, Karen Covell, who launched an organization called the Hollywood Prayer Network, and her goal is to get Christians across the country to stop looking at Hollywood as the enemy and start looking at Hollywood as a mission field, and let's pray for them. And it's so funny. She's told many times that she's met with studio executives, major producers, and at every meeting at the end, she always says, you know, would you mind praying if I prayed for you? And she said she's never once been turned down. She said, they don't know much about Jesus. They don't know much about, you know, Christianity, but you offer to pray for them, they're all in. So it's just funny that when you start to really reach out, engage on a person-to-person level, it's a different experience than what we often think. So I love that. Lead with your talent. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs eighteen sixteen, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. So the gift opens the door. Um, your talent will get you in there. And then you have to execute on that, actually provide something of value. And then once you're in that relationship where you've offered something of value to someone else, they're much more likely to hear you on something that's important to you. That's called relationship building. We used to actually encourage that, didn't we? <laughs> I remember those days. That was a long time ago. But uh, you're exactly right. That kind of relationship. And, and there are so many times I've been able to share my faith, share my political philosophy over coffee, over lunch, on a set, um, because you've earned that right once you've, you know, you, you've walked in the door, your talent has got you in, as you say, and you've just earned that right. And so they're open to listening. And I think that's what really makes a difference. So let's let's talk a little bit about the book. Um, why did you write it, and what do you hope that the readers will get out of it when they when they pick it up and and take it home to read? Well, I wrote the book Maximize Your Influence because I saw so many leaders who just are inept when it comes to sharing their message on in the media. So often, it's it's funny. You may be a pastor, and in seminary, they teach you how to teach the Bible. They teach you how to lead a church. They don't teach you anything about social media, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, none of that stuff. And yet today, 
that's the biggest way to get your message out there. And business leaders are the same. Uh, nonprofit leaders are the same. Even people that are just a housewife or selling insurance or coaching, we all need to understand how this digital world has changed everything. And believe me, I think it's changed more than the printing press changed in the 1500s. We always talk about how that changed the world. But digital media impacts so much of what we do. It's not just how we communicate with our friends. But today with social media, a housewife in Detroit can get so such momentum built up on social media, she can bring down a major corporation. We've seen that many causes and nonprofit uh, campaigns out there that just a handful of people that get concerned about a subject can actually cause a great amount of mo- momentum and change the world because of social media. It's so exponentially connected. So I, my goal was to help people understand that in a digital world, Everything is different, how we communicate, how we share our faith, how we talk about politics. It is all different. So I think if people are frustrated, if they're you know upset that their message is not getting out there, people aren't listening to them, this book will really help you open the door to understanding how people communicate in today's digital age. So, you know, that that's exactly a message that a lot of people are searching for. Uh, and I'm over at cookmediagroup.com where you have an, an amazing, it's Hillsong uh, up at the top. You have all these images flashing, um, gorgeous, you know, kind of draws you in on your website. And then when you scroll down, that's what you have right at the top here in big, like, I don't know, 48 font, getting your message heard in a noisy world. Yeah. Um, so it, can can we just... We just talk for a minute about it's not just noisy in the world right now, but the noise that we're hearing is often um, not truth. And and so people are having trouble deciphering what is true, what is not true, and then navigating between people who have different viewpoints. It used to be that we could be friends and even have dinner with, uh, spend time with, kids played with their kids, people who held different political views. That is fast becoming no longer the case. And so it's it's a difficult uh, it's 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 a, even between family members. Like it used to be that if you had Democrats and Republicans in the same family, everybody knew every you know what what the politics was. But you still came together and you still did everything as a family. Um, the holidays, the the interaction in between the holidays, and that's also no longer the case. So, how do we get past the fact that uh, the polarization has reached an epic level and the empathy seems to be decreasing at the same speed? You're exactly right. You know, when I was growing up, we got our news, for instance, from pretty trusted sources. Uh, We got them from major newspapers that were largely balanced. Most major newspapers were fairly fairly objective. Uh, People like Walter Cronkite were telling us the straight story in most cases. And obviously there was some exaggeration and there was some, you know, false stories. But for the most part, news was pretty uh, objective and fairly, uh, it had a lot of integrity to it. However, there was limited voices out there. Not everybody could start a newspaper. Not everybody could launch a television news program. Today, social media has given everyone a voice. And while that's great that we all have a voice and can use it for for whatever cause we believe in, it also means there's a lot of crazy voices out there. I mean, there's a lot of liars out there. There's a lot of voices that are stretching the truth. And so we have to be more vigilant than ever and understanding how to navigate that world and know where to go for sources we can believe in. I'm constantly amazed when I go on college campuses and I talk to young people where they're getting their news from. And it's just remarkable that they're getting it from such biased sources and such 
you know, such marginalized sources, and you know what they're listening to is not true for the most part. So it is, you're right, it's caused a lot of problems in the world, and how we navigate that is probably going to be the greatest challenge of our lifetime. Uh, I really do believe that, you know, truth, one of the great problems is we live in a post-truth world. As Oprah says, your truth is your truth, and your truth is your truth. There is no one unified idea of truth anymore. Uh, we grew up, I grew up in a Christian family, and we believed the Bible was God's truth for humanity. Now, according to Oprah and a lot of other people, truth is whatever you want it to be. And so in that world, even trying to pitch the truth to somebody doesn't matter anymore. And so I think it's going to be a very, very great challenge as we move into the future. So I, I got to say, Phil, um, so your analysis there is spot on. When you said your truth, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone, you know, I'll say something that's actually true. It's not, it's not my yeah, truth. It's just a, something that's true. Um, and then the person will say, oh, well, I respect your right to believe in what you believe in and your truth is your truth. But I believe, and then they start off on a tangent of, you know, and it's a convoluted group of things that they've cobbled together from people they've heard, you know, like Oprah, who has done so much damage to our culture. It's kind of amazing. She started off reading one Psalm and one proverb a day and telling people about that on her show 20 years ago. And now she believes that the universe is who we worship and, you know, your truth is your truth. That has seeped into seeped into so many people's uh, consciousness. It's the reality that they now operate in that if something is becomes something they don't like, that they don't have to believe in it or they don't have to accept it. It's no longer true. It's no longer a part of what they believe. It's a really easy cop out, but it makes life much more difficult. I mean, the the relationships that we have that are so fraught with. Um, it's not just anxiety that people feel towards each other, but it's kind of an animus that comes from the idea that none of us can accept the truth as it stands. We all have to mold it to our own viewpoint. Yeah. Well, you know, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book called the way back, how Christians blew our credibility and how we get it back. Kind of a provocative subtitle. And um, I wrote the book thinking when I started the process, I thought the reason we're not making more of an impact in the culture, whether you're conservative or Christian or whatever, is because we're not telling our story well. And I'm I'm a television producer and a writer, so my whole life is built about how we tell our story. But the more I got into it, particularly with the Christian community, the more I got into studying Pew Research, Barna Research, Gallup Polls. I, I discovered that the single greatest challenge we face today is we're not living the life we talk about. You know, in many ways, Christians, for instance, I found, you know, more than half of Christians in the pews, in church pews today, read the Bible once a month, rarely or never. I discovered that 63% of Christians believe prayer is effective, and I thought, well, that's good. But then it, I realized more than a third of Christians in church today don't believe prayer is effective. And if you go down the list of how we live our lives, we're not living the life we've talked about. In the book, I talk about the fact that we've kind of become the the fat guy in the gym that lectures everybody else about health. You know, we're, we're, we're we're happy to protest Hollywood or the gay community or somebody else. But when it comes to living our life as God called us to live, we're not doing a very good job of it. And so when the secular world looks at that and they think, oh, wait a second, he's not living what he's talking about. Why should I believe him? I just discovered that it's like it would be much like if you went to the headquarters of Coca-Cola and everybody there is drinking Pepsi. You know, they they don't believe in their own product. And so we don't really have a, a, a challenge telling our story as much as we have a challenge uh, we have a credibility 
challenge. We're just not living the life so the world can see it. And so I think the single greatest thing I would urge people to do in this day and age, whether you're conservative politically or a Christian or whatever, live it out. Live that life out. Be a person that your friends and neighbors can look at and say, you know what? I don't agree with that Christian thing, but he lives a remarkable, remarkable life. And that's what's going to draw people, I think, more than our lectures, more than going on the news, more than talking about it. I think when people look at us and see that's the kind of person. Rodney Stark, a researcher at Baylor University, discovered that the single greatest people could, uh, single greatest reason people convert to a new religion or a new way of thinking is they want to be like those people. And so if we could become the kind of people that the world would look at and think, wow, they have great marriages, they're so positive, they have great businesses and families, I think people would be drawn to us and it would really make a dramatic difference. So what does it look like? Because that I love what you just said there. Um, but if you're, if you're selling a Christian on actually walking it out, because most, most of the time, if, if I talk to someone, I say, oh, well, you know, we, we're supposed to read our Bibles every day. We're supposed to actually engage in praise and worship every day. We need to be in Bible study. Church once a week just isn't enough. I usually get a puzzled look from them. And they, well, I don't have time for all that. That's a huge commitment. You're asking me to like change my whole life. And so what do I get out of it? And I, I usually say, you know, stronger marriage, more positive outlook, you know, better sleep. You, you're more successful at work. Not I'm not talking about more money, just more success, meaning better uh, outcomes at work. You, you feel goal oriented and you know there's a purpose to your life. But it's still they want to know what it looks like. People want to be shown a picture of that. So if you had to draw a picture, yeah. that's really what you do for a living. You don't just draw pictures. You yeah. create moving pictures and you visualize ideas for people on an epic scale. What does it look like, Phil? Well, let me say this. You'll enjoy this. There's a there's a, an $8 million study out there called The Power of Four. And you can Google The Power of Four and you can find it. Uh, an, an organization in Omaha created, or I think Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, did the study. And they found out that of all the things you could do as a Christian, for instance, going to church, um, reading the Bible, listening to praise and worship music, doing service, acts of service, whatever— they found out that of all the things you could possibly do, the only thing that makes a visible behavioral change in your life is reading the Bible four or more times a week. They said it's interesting that if you read the Bible less than four times a week, you, get, you have no behavioral changes in your life, any different from your secular neighbor, an atheist neighbor, no difference at all. But the minute you hit four or more times a week, they actually track behavior changes. You lose weight. You become more positive. Your family gets better. Your life starts improving. Things that a behavioral researcher could actually visibly see. And so it's not a matter of just saying, oh, I, yeah, your life will be better. We've actually tracked it so that you start reading the Bible four or more times a week, your life will visibly change. And I just think that's a study, that power of four study changed everything for me. And I think it's a remarkable thing. If we could just get people to understand how important engaging the Bible is, I think it would have a huge impact on people's lives. So that's the picture that we're looking for, because people want to know what tangible benefit they'll get from making a change. Um, I, I sometimes will say to people, well, what do you have to lose if you feel like your life is not going in the right direction right now? And I'm talking about reading something a few times a week. 
because um, we well, Pastor Axel shared that with us too about the four times a week. He's he he drilled down on it and shared that in church, and the congregation was completely silent, and you could hear a pin drop as people were listening to that because most Christians really think they read the Bible more than they do, and the only way to keep track of it is if you have a set time an appointment in the morning before you get started to make sure that you're doing it and. I find that it's even better if I have a devotional that I'm following or um, like, you know, the one year Bible. Well, you know, if you haven't read it, when you open it up and it says March 30th and today is, you know, April 13th, you know, you haven't been reading it every day. So that's a good way to keep track of it. And I I really recommend people always kind of scoff at the one year Bible because it's so ubiquitous. Everyone talks about it, but it's important because it keeps you on a day to day track of reading more than a chapter a day of the Bible. It really does. And, and I, I'll sort of answer your question from a, from a producer here in Hollywood, from a writer. Let me give you this point of view, and that is there's nothing as powerful. When you're trying to talk to someone about your faith, your political perspective, whatever, there's nothing as powerful as your personal story. I've, I'll tell you, I've done this for 40 years, and I've discovered that a personal story is the most powerful thing you can possibly do. So when you're engaging with somebody about these kind of issues— just telling them what God did in your life, or just telling them how the, a conservative political philosophy completely changed the way you look at everything. I'll tell you, if you if people origin, what I call origin stories, how you started in life, or how you your life was transformed, people are absolutely just transformed by that. And it's interesting if you look at the comic book world. The, the most expensive collectible comic books there are out there are origin stories. People are fascinated with knowing how people got started. And so I would just encourage listeners today that if you want to share your faith with somebody, don't worry about theology. Don't worry about giving them a Bible story. Don't worry about you know trying to argue with them. Just tell them how God transformed your life. What he did for you, I'll tell you, that is the most powerful thing you could possibly do. Yeah, as soon as you said origin story, I thought about Avengers and all the. I mean, it's it's yeah. so um, so connected in our culture. The two of those things. Um, so I, I I love talking to you. I, I and this is not our first interview. Back when I was on AFR, I used to join the program, and and you were just yeah. as engaging then. I think one of the the most exciting things for me is when I hear the kind of passion that you have about this topic, Um, because you could really be passionate about anything. And I I know you have more than one area in which you exert that kind of energy. But when you're passionate about, like what you say here on your Phil Cook podcast, creating influence, inspiring change, that is contagious. And I I hope that uh, the podcast listeners will share this, uh, go to Phil's website. I have all the links in the show notes for the program today. Um, You can share it. You can tweet it out. You can maybe print uh, print it out, put it on your dining room table for anyone in your family to catch hold of. Um, I really think we have to be better evangelists for uh, positive influencers and for the gospel, because that's the only thing that changes people. When you talk about the Bible changing us, God's word says that. It says it's a two-edged sword, and it and it, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it goes out, and it both divides and changes people. It's the truth, and we need more of it. And so I think people, I, I hope, will be pretty inspired, especially by the, the results of just four 15-minute reading sessions of the Bible, because that's about how long it takes to read uh, a daily, you know, if you're doing the Bible in a year, each daily session takes 15 minutes or less to read the content that they have for that day. So I just encourage people to to get one of these uh, read the Bible in a year Bibles and try fill out. He's sharing with you what the Barna Group has studied. They're excellent at, at all of that. That's so true. I would encourage you to do it. And I appreciate what you're doing. You getting these doing these interviews, getting this message out, I think is absolutely critical. So thanks for doing that.
Well, uh, on that love fest note, I think we'll close out the podcast. (laughs) So I've been chatting with Phil Cook. He has his own podcast, Creating Influence and Inspiring Change. You can find out more about him at philcook.com. Go to stacyontheright.com and click the banner ad if you would like to save money on your health care. And I'll be back with you soon. Enjoy your day.